Don't you love it when you hear somebody testify or preach or sing or even if you're watching them play some kind of sports when they just give everything they got and leave it all on the table? Don't you like it when you're there when you see somebody do that? That's what you just saw. Somebody left everything on the table in front of a bunch of, in front of, a bunch of kids. I think he must really care about you. Would you like to stand just for a few minutes, stretch out? Give me a couple of minutes to maybe set up some things for you tonight in keeping with the theme that we have of camp. And realize a message like that can have a tendency to sort of string you out a little bit, but I don't think we're done yet. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight, Lord willing, about a man who willingly, who knowingly, gave up, sold out, intentionally gave away his birthright, his treasure. Everything had been set in motion for him. He had the opportunity to have everything. He was going to be the patriarch. He's going to be in the line of Christ. He would be richer than he could even possibly imagine and have more money than he would ever be able to spend in a lifetime. And for one meal, one Stupid, silly, foolish, fast, fleshly, deadly decision. He sold it all. He gave up everything that God had planned for him. And basically thumbed his nose at it and said, I could care less what God's trying to do for me. As a matter of fact, the Bible that you'll read here in just a moment, you know what it said? He despised his birthright. That's a pretty bad thing, wouldn't you say? To despise what the Lord's wanting you to do. Yet, you know, I have seen Christian men and women who've despised what the Lord's tried to lay up for them, treasures that are up in heaven. And they've made decisions in that moment instantaneously that have cost them for the rest of eternity. Father, would you help us tonight as we look into your word, try our best to get something from it, as feeble as we are mentally and as human as we are, we'd ask God that you might supernaturally put upon us the word of God in vivid color and imagination. Help us to see the story you're trying to paint tonight, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. July and August are very hot months. Down in Florida, it gets very, very humid down there in Florida. July, let's see, July 21. Where's Anna? Didn't you have surgery in July 21? Where are you? Was it July 21? 2020. So it's been two years now. How about that? I, I'm, I'm getting old, but I'm not too bad, right? I was only off a year. Anyway, they're very hot. They're very hot months. And I remember it was hotter than blazes and the folks were outside the, the shacks and they were eating, you know, pig's feet and pickled eggs and things. We were talking about that today. It reminded me of the illustration. And 
people are sitting around out front because it's so hot. And a lot of the places where I used to be and where I used to ride, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't even have window units. Some of them had fans, most of them with bars on the windows. The windows would be up all the time. The doors would be open, screen doors, shotgun houses from here to there, just straight through. You could actually see through them from the street, just straight through. And if somebody dropped a cigarette or something in them, they go up like tender. I mean, just go up. I mean, immediately just burst into flames. And I remember, boy, it was hot. It was just getting evening time. The crickets were starting to chirp around and that kind of thing. And we had just finished. We'd ate over at the barbecue, eaten over at the barbecue place there. And we were coming up and walked out to the car and sat on the car. And I said, the guy riding the beat next to me, I'll check you later on. And we're getting, it was 3 to 11 shift. And we started kind of easing around there and looking for things. The alert tone goes off. And that's to kind of wake you up, let you know it's a serious call coming. And the call came in where a brother had taken a shotgun and stuck it into his brother's mouth and had pulled the trigger. But it all had done the primer, I mean the hammer hit the primer. We found the shell later on and had the primer, but it didn't detonate it. And then the guy was supposedly in the bathroom. So we went running around there and we finally got there and my partner pulled up first. And then and I pulled up there and we went into the house and the mother was all just distraught, just just so badly upset about that thing. He had a rookie with him, and I was by myself, and we did all the stuff you're supposed to do, and we said what you always say after we wrote a report, call us if he comes back. <laughs> he was gone. There's nothing else we could do. Both of us looked at each other and said, I'll meet you around the corner, because we felt like you know he's probably going to come back, maybe change out the shotgun shell or whatever. I mean, he obviously meant business. Well, sure enough, about 30 minutes or so, just getting evening time. I mean, a little darker than it is now. Still hotter than blazes outside, man, especially with that stinking vest on and all that stuff. And so we all of a sudden, the alert tone goes off again, and he's back, and we hightail it right around the corner. We intentionally were close by, hoping to be able to catch him. And we got him, and the mama and the auntie is sitting there, and they're, they're going, he's in the bathroom, he's in the bathroom, he's in the bathroom. And so I talked to my partner there, and I said, how do you want to do this? And he said, I'll kick it, you should him. I said, okay, we're ready. Boy, he reared back, and I mean, he hit that door with everything. It sounded like dynamite going off. That little old bathroom door in that little bitty shack, it exploded like a house of toothpicks. Boy, I mean, it shattered all over the creation like that. And here's a guy standing in front of me. He isn't big as a minute, maybe 145, 150 pounds. He's got on red gym shorts, no shoes, no shorts, sweat pouring off of him. And I'm ready to shoot him, but there's a problem. He doesn't have a gun. I'm in a hallway, and I'm almost in those days about as big as the hallway. And my partner, the guy rode the beat next to me, he's about the same. The rookie, we got no idea where he is. He's somewhere, I don't know, kind of jumping around, you know, giving commentator on whatever it is that we're doing there. And all of a sudden, the kid comes charging out at me. And so I do what I normally do. I shoved him really hard. But when I did, he grabbed my finger and snapped it just like that. And for me, it was a come-to-Jesus moment. I mean, I was like, I got that feeling of nausea, and I got that feeling of this is not good, and I got that feeling of, but I am, oh, and now I'm mad, but now I'm like, I'm a little bit wounded, 
I'm trying to get my gun back in the holster, and now he's grabbing my gun and trying to pull my gun off the holster and that kind of stuff. And it's kind of the big, you know, wrestling match and all that kind of a stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, my partner gets in there, and we managed to get a hold of him. And that little bitty thing, you should have seen it, man. I mean, <laughs> we were two big old guys with this little old guy behind us. It looked like we were trying to, trying to crack a peanut or something, you know. And I finally got his handcuffs on him like that, and I said, I got him. I ran my arm through him, and I began to walk him out. You know, he's kind of touching every few steps, you know. We're just helping him down the hallway in a gentle sort of a fashion and, and those kind of things. And, and then now mom and auntie are like, don't hurt him, don't hurt him. I'm like, oh, you don't get to do that now. I'm like, don't hurt him. My, my hand's like this, you know. And it don't hurt him. I'm, no, ma'am, not going to hurt him at all. And we get out into the living room right there, and there's three guys that walk into, they burst into that little bitty small living room, and they said, uh, you're not taking him. My idiot partner, you know what he said? Yeah, who's going to stop us? I'm like, no. He didn't know that my finger was broken, but I'm also thinking, there's three of them, there's two of us. Remember, I'm saying there was a rookie, but we are yet to find out where that rookie is. We don't know if he's decided to take a lunch break or whatever happened. Well, we start going, tables are breaking, we're pushing, trying to get through there, and then all of a sudden, somebody hollered, you know, food fight, and everybody is outside, and it's starting to get kind of bad. I mean, it's getting pretty reckless. I'm not playing it up. I'm telling you what really happened. We stumbled out onto the stairs and that kind of a deal. And I managed to get the guy down there. My radio slid up underneath the car. We're calling for help. Helicopter's flying over there. I mean, he's up there. You feel like you can almost touch him. I can see the guy leaning out of the window. I can hear him on the radio underneath the car saying, you need to get him some help. You need to get him some help. And I'm like, no kidding. You need to get us some help here. We are surrounded. They are shaking the car. They're blocking the door. We can't get the guy in there. I'm trying to stuff him in there. He, my partner's backed up to me. I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but there's no rookie there anywhere. We can't find Could have used his help. And now, and this is, look, this is so far back. This is in the days of six shooters. We didn't have automatics. We didn't have semi-automatics. We didn't have 40 cals. We didn't have 9 millimeter. We didn't have any of that. We had six shots. That means you fire five, try to get the other one out. If you don't, you save one for yourself, and you're good to go. And so I'm thinking, well, this is, this is it. Things are starting to slow down. Things are getting real bad. We're trying to knock them off of each other as best we possibly can. It's funny how quiet it got. And it got real still, and then all of a sudden, man, here comes a guy, and I can tell, I mean, I'm, just, I'm, I'm fixing to get tagged, and there's nothing I can do. And I moved to the side just a little bit, and I'm glad that I did, because the guy riding next to me, man, he came down from somewhere around southern Alabama, Dothan or something, man. He hit that guy with a haymaker so hard, the guy literally just flopped over like that, and he fell right at my feet. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm on my knees and I'm looking at the guy and, I, and he goes, cuff him. And I said, really? He goes, that's ugly, man. What in the world? Now they're piling us. And so I'm trying to get the cuffs on this guy and trying to get him in the car. And the other guys that were coming to us, there were trains that were blocking them. They couldn't get there. I could hear them saying it. And we're still waiting on the cavalry. You're listening for the sirens. It seems like minutes, but it was most likely only seconds. But, I mean, it was bad. I mean, we were getting smacked and hit and kicked and stomped and spit on and all this other kind of stuff. And did I fail to tell you there was something missing? Uh, yeah. The rookie. 
By the time we got done, I mean, they had literally almost been successful at getting my gun literally pulled off of my belt, with a holster and all. And we were all ripped up to shreds pretty good. Looked like we'd kind of been run through one of Joe's lawnmowers and that kind of a deal, man. And yeah, even my hair was messed up. I mean, if you can imagine that, I mean... <laughs> It was really bad, man. There was blood everywhere, man, and sweat. And I don't know, it's a hot August day, and there is nothing worse than bleeding, but bleeding and sweating at the same time, man. I mean, it is. I don't care what they make it out to be on TV. You got blood smeared all over you, and you're like, whose is that, and what did they have, and am I going to catch it? And you're pouring bleach on yourself, thinking, I don't want to get AIDS through my skin. And, I mean, you know, it, it was bad. Well, the troops show up, and after... After everybody gets there, guess who shows up? <laughs> Not at the scene. We're in the hospital being treated next to the guys that we have handcuffed to the bed. We had a, a couple of guys that we had taken down there to get some you know, additional medical treatment for uh, heat exhaustion and heat stroke and things like that. And, and so they were there and they were trying to, you know, they were, and, and my partner's still like, Man, did you get that thing fixed yet? That's, that's ugly. Hey, Doc, you need to fix his finger. I mean, we got cuts and we got all this other stuff. He's worried about my finger. The doctor comes and he goes, man, that's pretty ugly. <laughs> said, thanks a lot, Doc. He says, well, I'm going to fix it for you. It broke the sleeve and this and that and the other. And he said, I don't even need to do an x-ray. He said, but this is going to hurt. I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm all about shots. Give me a, load me up. So they load me up with a bunch of xylocaine. That thing swole up about this big. And then he goes, are you ready? And I said, I think I am. And then he snapped it, man. And I got that kind of a, oh, that was, I'm going to pass out. And about the time I opened up my eyes, here comes the rookie. <laughs> and I'm in that moment of blissful pain because the rookie ran out and betrayed us, deserted us. Right when we needed his help the most. That was a lot of years ago and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Nothing hurts worse than for somebody to tell you they are with you and then run when it gets bad. I'll say this for my partner. He was right there next to me. His hind end was backed up to my back while I'm on the ground handcuffing him. And he swatted him and I cuffed him and we stuffed him and we did the best we could. But you know what I knew? I knew he wasn't going nowhere. Can I ask you a question? Do we look into this passage today? Can the Lord count on you to be the same way? Yeah. Yeah, are you going to run like a stinking coward when your friend comes up to you and asks you to do something that you shouldn't do? Are you going to be like the rookie and just show up for the dress parade? Are you willing to get your clothes a little dirty and wind up taking some bumps and some cuts and have to deal with some difficult things? Or do you have not enough backbone in you that you just run and preserve yourself when it gets hard? You say, why? Because the Christian life sometimes makes you have to make a decision. Right. Let's look at this man. You know what his name is? You probably already know his name. His name's Esau, right? 
His name is Esau. You know what the Bible says about him? The Bible says about him in the book of Hebrews, he said for one morsel of meat that he sold his birthright and that later on he sought repentance carefully with tears but could find no place. You find out in the Gospels the Lord said about him, he said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. He despised his birthright. How would you like to be hated by God? God had set everything up for that boy to have the success that he could have. But I want you to notice something. Look in Genesis chapter number 25, if you would please. Genesis chapter number 25. You say, why did the Lord hate Esau? It wasn't preordained, ordained, before the foundation of the world. He hated him because of a decision that he made. He said, you know something, Esau, you just kind of gone a little bit too far here. Notice what he says. The first point I'd like to make with just a few F's here is that he made a very fleshly, very carnal decision. The boys grew, Esau, verse number 27, was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. It means like a man of the world. Jacob was a plain man, a, tw- a dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat the venison and Re- uh, Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, means he cooked it. And Esau came from the field and was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, means a red man. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? What good's this treasure anyway? I can't spend it now. I'm about to die. I need something to eat. Why do I care about an eternal inheritance? Why do I care about being in the line of Christ? Why do I care about taking care and being one of the patriarchs? The privilege and the protection that it provides, not just for me, from other people. No, this whole thing's all about me. I'm about to die. I've been out here hunting and all that, trying to provide for you, Yahoos. And I'm coming in here and you want my birthright? I could care less. Take my birthright. Post it on Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, you know, that old preacher, he won't know nothing about how I can post all my social stuff out there and nobody else know about it and then get up and sing in the choir as if I'm a good Christian and then get mad at the people that told somebody, that told somebody, that told a little bird who told the big bird. For a stupid, fleshly, carnal decision I made that I wanted to involve everybody in. I don't care about everybody else. It's all about me. It's my chance to shine. It's my opportunity to get my moment in the lights and to hold up my camera to make the selfie. It's my opportunity. It's a fleshly, carnal decision. When did you want it? I want it now. I want it right now, said Achan. Babylonian garment, wedge of gold and silver. And the Lord said, that's mine. And Achan said, but I want it now. He said, hey, why don't you wait till the next one? If you get the next one, you'll get bigger than you get this one. Achan said, no, I want it now. What you don't know oftentimes about that story is Achan is not the only one that died and suffered the repercussions for a fleshly decision he made. 
Achan made a decision that affected the entire nation of Israel, cost 36 people their lives in a battle, and eventually caused the nation of Israel to grind to a halt while he went through his lying escapades to try to hide the fact that he had been the one to steal the wedge of gold, the Babylonian garden, and the silver, and put it in his tent, in his house, where nobody but his followers on TikTok knew about it. Nobody saw him be bopping down the road and singing the devil's music. Nobody saw him out at the bar with the Mai Tais and the other drinks on the table. Nobody saw that. Well, except God. Lo and behold, they have a trial. And after a period of time, Guess what happens? Joshua says, you got to be kidding me, Achan. Why did you put us through all 12 tribes? And then all the people in the tribes, tell you what you do, Achan, go get your whole family. Wait a minute now, hold on, Joshua. Let's talk about this a little bit. I mean, you know, I was trying to do something for it, and he said, no, you don't understand. God's going to wipe your name out from underneath heaven. And your wife and your children and your animals and all your possessions are going to be at the bottom of a pile of rocks and burned to rubble because of a fleshly, carnal, I got to have it now decision that you made. You gave it all away. You got your stuff and my stuff mixed up and God don't play with that. Well, preacher, you know... You take this stuff just a little bit too serious. Oh, I don't know that I do. Samson said, I want it now. He was a judge in Israel. And he said, I want it now. And they said, don't do it, man. You don't do that. Listen, listen, do what God says to do. He said, no, I'm going to take one of those outlandish women and I'm going to have her and she's going to be mine. And it winds up costing her her life and costing her father and all her life. And then later on, you find him in the bosom of iniquity and he's doing the same thing over again. And guess what? He forfeited everything. You say, why? I got to have it right now. This moment, you heard the preacher saying to you a while while ago that you get that psychological look at something causes a physiological thing that's as addictive as cocaine. But you got to have it now. i got to have it. God made me this way. I can't help myself. And next thing you know, you're headed down the trail and you're thinking, well, I got away with it. it. It won't cost me anything. Oh, I hate to tell you this. It cost you more than you think you might. It didn't cost you your salvation But while you're in that state of undress and while you're in that state of lack of fellowship and while you're not doing what God wants you to do, nothing you're doing is counting for anything at the judgment seat of Christ. Nothing. Because you got to have it now. I need it right now. I'm talking about Esau. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking about you. I wouldn't be so brash. I wouldn't be so harsh as to try to accuse you of ever doing anything along those lines. But can I say this to you? Look at what winds up happening. Come to Genesis chapter number 28. Do you remember what uh, Amnon did? My friend, Brother Mike's friend, some of you knew him. He was a great preacher, probably the greatest preacher ever that has ever been in the United States. His name was Jim Lentz, and he would preach a message, and he called the message, Amnon had a friend. 
And he'd say his name was Jonadab. And he was a very subtle man. You heard a message about the devil being the creature that was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he tricked Eve. You know what happened? Amnon comes in there. He sees his sister. That's weird. That's perverted. That's twisted when you're looking at your sister in that kind of way. Hallelujah. You say amen right there. That's weird. But he had a friend. You see, associations can create problems for you if they're wrong associations. And all of a sudden, here is a king's son that is about to have a horrible relationship with a king's daughter. Why? I want it now. And the devil said, I can hook you up. The devil took the form of Jonadab and he said, listen, I can tell you how we can fix this. You're going to act like you're sick. You know how Tamar is. I mean, she's pure as the driven snow. Her name is Snow White. That's her nickname for her. You can tell what she is by how she dresses. She don't dress like no whore doggy or slut puppy. Not her, man. I mean, you can tell by her garments she's a virgin. And Amnon said, man, keep talking about her. I'm getting riled up. This is sounding good. What's the plan? He said, well, act like you're sick. You know how she is. She's given to hospitality. She's going to make you a bowl of chicken soup and she's going to bring it to you. And when she does, I'll dismiss the guards and then I'll kick the door shut when she comes in and gotcha, Jonadab, no problem. That's good, said Amnon. Works for me. (coughs) Tamar, (coughs) I'm sick. I don't, I don't feel good. I, can you do something? Oh, Amnon, I'm so sorry you're sick. I, I could sure. Let me make some chicken soup, boil down some chicken soup, put it in a pressure washer, pressure, uh, pressure cooker. Don't put it in the pressure washer. Put it in the pressure cooker. <laughs> That's a great way to avoid salmonella, though. But don't put it in the pressure cooker and get everything ready and melt the bones down and all that. Make the broth, put a little rice with it and stuff like that. And boy, here she comes in that thing and she looks just pretty as a picture. And she walks in and John Adab, he looks over at Amnon and goes, Maybe he goes, takes a picture, goes out the door. Amnon all of a sudden feeling good. And Tamar says, do not this evil. Don't, don't do this. Stop. Don't do this. Muffles her cry, and shovels a hand across her face, buries her head in a pillow, and has his way because he has to have it now. And when he's done, he says, Get out, you make me sick. And she said, Hey, two wrongs don't make a right. Now, what you've done is a bad thing, and I ask you not to, but I tell you what, let's do. We'll go to Daddy. We'll get it fixed, and I'll be yours from now on, okay? We don't have to have that anymore, but don't don't put me out now, because if you put me out, there ain't nobody going to have me, and 
guess what's going to happen to me? I'm never going to be married and I'm never going to have youngins. And I, listen, listen, don't, 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 please don't, don't, don't do this, okay? Please get out. She goes out and the guards have to grab her out the door. She's crying. He says, carry her out of here. You know what you know about Tamar? You know about Tamar is that she remained a virgin. Nobody wanted her. And it wasn't even her fault. You say, why? Because Amnon had to have it right now. Did I remind you, we're talking about Esau. What was Esau's decision? It was purely about his flesh. I want it now. I'm starving to death. Really? You missed one meal. And you're starving to death. I gotta have it. If I don't have it, I'll die. <coughs> Guess what? It was a very simple ask for it. He said, Listen, I give you my birthright. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'll give you my Christian name. It doesn't mean anything to me. I will gladly surrender my testimony. It doesn't mean anything to me. Why do I care about that? I want it now. raped her and he ruined her but it doesn't stop with Esau Genesis chapter number 28 the Bible says in verse 6 Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away in Panandurium to take a wife from thence and that he, as he blessed him he gave him a charge saying thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan you ain't supposed to go down there, Esau. Watch the disobedience to parents show up from a ruined life. Doesn't just stop with a betrayal and a forsaking of the birthright. Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Pan and Durham. And Esau, seeing the daughters of Canaan, pleased not Isaac his father, intentionally, purposely had the motive to hurt him. Vindictively, verse number 9, Esau went to Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had at Malatha, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister Naboth-Joth to be his wife. The two people the Lord said to, I mean, that Abraham said, his daddy said, don't do it. Esau said, you ain't telling me what to do. If you disobey God, you can look to be disobeying your parents and all authority in your life. That's why any preacher anywhere or teacher that teaches you disobedience against authority must have been disobedient to God somewhere along the line and is trying to get you to follow after it. They are Jonadabs in your life. All friends are not good friends. But we got to have the first one. Number one, fleshly decision. There's only about four of these. Number two, would you agree it was a fast decision? You know what happened? He had to have it now. All over this bowl of beans. I'm reminded of the story. David is up there. I look at the end of the story there where Nathan comes in when he tells him, Thou art the man. You know what he says in that story? He said, You could have had anybody. Why did you take your neighbor's wife? Listen, I understand some of you are already good and mad, but we're just getting started.
And, and you can give me that look, but all that does is stir me up. I'm too old to let you jackrabbits get me upset because you're like... What is this, gangsta? You going to start throwing signs at me? I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to help you. You don't have any better sense than to see that. But you don't put me in a box because all of a sudden I hurt your feelings before the wrong you did. It, do, don't, it doesn't work that way. When you did wrong and then, well, you shouldn't have called it. Over, no, no. When your parents catch you doing wrong and dust your hind end for doing it, don't be blaming your parents for being bad parents. Thank God for good parents. But remember, it's your fault for doing what you did and it's your fault for being friends for people like that to help facilitate it, Jonadab. Because you would rather them get what they want instead of telling them, I don't want nothing to do with that. David looks out one day. See what happened? He didn't keep his appointment to go to war. I know you'll find this hard to believe, but keeping appointments, keeping a daytime, or having a routine, it'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. I had a young guy ask me the other day, he said, you know, how did you get stay out of trouble? And I'm thinking, well, I guess he thinks I stayed out of all the trouble, but I stayed out a lot. I said, number one, I got married. Number two, I trained all the time. I didn't go out with the people doing the other stuff. You say, why? Because I couldn't do that and train, and so I made a choice. You say, oh, will you train? No, the Lord used that to teach me some discipline, but also to keep me out of places I had no business going. You know why? I know me. I'm not like you. Listen, I need to avoid, not resist. I need to stay away from it and abstain from all. All, all means all to me. That's what it means to me. Appearance of evil. It's better for me to be accused of being Mr. Pants and Pork over here than to be real close to the edge and be one of the guys. I'm better off to be over there by myself away from trouble. David didn't keep his appointment. When kings go out to war, David was a king and a warrior. What in the cat hair is he doing sitting at the house? Yeah, yeah. He was watching YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. And he was scrolling, baby, scrolling and rolling. Man, here's the palace. Here's me in the palace. Hell, boy, this looks, you know, something's bit. Oh, Lord, what's that over there? Oh my goodness, the Lord said, hey man, you better change the channel. Remember what the preacher said about psychological effects, physiological? You better change the channel, man. You, you up on the wrong, you on roof channel 101. You need to get off that roof. Get out, man. David said, yeah, you, you, know, you're, you know, you're right about that. I, I really, I, <laughs> man, nobody, all the guys are out to war. It's after midnight and nobody else is around. <laughs> Goes down and he wakes up his servant. He says, hey, hey, come here, man. Come here. I need you to come here a minute. He said, what is that? You know that next door neighbor? Oh, uh, yes, sir. You mean the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David said, oh, she's married. <laughs> 
And he said, what'd you say, King? He said, uh, uh, no, I said, you know what? It's a shame that her husband's out there at war. I, I tell you what, why don't you just invite her into the palace and, you know, just have a good meal for her. She probably ha- she's probably all alone and she needs, she needs care and cuddling and, and that kind of thing. And we'll have some maidens take care of her and, you know. And the Lord said, David, if she's coming to the palace, you better get out of the palace. It belongs to somebody else, boy. Don't you tell me the Lord didn't warn him. Well, you know the rest of the story. You say, what happened to David? Oh, David made a fast decision that he paid for the rest of his life. Four sheep, four sheep. Here's what scares me. If he won't let a man after his own heart, who is the greatest king the nation of Israel has ever seen, Killed more giants than anybody, slain more Philistines than anybody, and been a great king. And says about him, he is a man after my own heart. Wrote the majority of the book of Psalms. If he won't let him off, why do I think I would get off? That shakes me. I have eternal security. I don't have to pray, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I know I'm eternal secure, but I know this. The Holy Spirit can certainly be grieved and vexed. And guess what? He can just cease to work. Is it making any sense for you at all? You say, preacher, you're scaring me good. I look at that man. It makes me shake. You say, why? David was a man that was subject. If he didn't keep his appointments, he's like, you know, why not? I'm the king. Here's what Nathan said. King, the Lord would have given you anybody you wanted. Why did you have to go after something that wasn't yours? Can I say this? It was a fleshly decision. It was a fast decision and you need to slow down. You can't trade accuracy for speed. Number three, if you're taking notes, would you agree it was a a foolish decision? See, that doesn't really fit in. Yeah, it is. He sold his whole birth ride for a bowl of beans. That's like you selling a million-dollar house for a hundred-dollar bill. Yeah, here's a hundred-dollar bill. Go ahead and take it, man. That house worth a million bucks. I don't Whatever. I care less, man. Here, I need a hundred bucks to go buy some crack. See, the decision that he made, when you get in this state of mind, when you get into the mindset of Esau, when you get into the mind of a Jonadab, you don't think about the results. You don't think about the cost. You don't care about anybody but yourself. You don't think about the collateral damage that you're doing to your testimony, not only to the things that you're going to do, but to the things that you've done. You heard the story. You know what they remember about that story? They don't remember 30 years of things going well. They remember that he quit. Would you agree it's foolish? Would you think selling your birthright for a bowl of beans? Pretty stupid, right, isn't it? Girls, isn't that? You got some business sense, right? But you know what? We don't pause to think about selling gold. God's gold. Silver, God's silver. Precious stone, God's precious stones. For a bowl of beans right now, I want it now. 
And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make everybody else feel bad because uh, I did something I shouldn't do and they should just say, you know, no big deal. No, wait a minute. Why am I feeling bad? You did wrong. I'm sorry. I'd be glad if you come back. Don't be guilt tripping me. I didn't go with you when you went where you went. I didn't do what you did. You say, yeah, but you could. If I hung out with you, I could. Is this too tough for you? Should I dial it back? This should just be an adults only message. It was a stupid thing for him to do. Absolutely foolish. I mean, listen, as far as wealth, he would be the wealthiest individual. As far as protection, as far as preservation, as far as rewards. But being in the line of Christ. Can you imagine? You know what he said? Give me something to eat, man. I could care less. Christians. I'm so sick of Christians. I'm so sick of the Bible. I'm so sick of Bible believers. I'm so sick of the church. I'm so sick of the hypocrites in the church. I'm people, Christians just hurt me all the time. I don't like Christians. That's all you hang out with. Did you ever reason the reason you don't like them is because they don't like you? It could be maybe your attitude. Can't be you though, is it? Because you're the bride at every wedding, the courts at every funeral, and everybody likes you. You know what? You can tell a lot about yourself by who likes you and who don't. I know I'm being a little bit hard. I'm a little bit frustrated with Christians who sell out while other Christians are getting the snot beat out of them. To try to put some Yahoo in jail for trying to kill his brother. And all of a sudden, Mr. Rookie, man, he's gone because he might get dirty, might get messed up. That's what irritates the fire out of me to hear people run down the police and run down preachers and run down service and military men that ain't ever bled. Running down the church, you're a coward. Cowards talk because they never had their nose bloody. That policeman, he's up there running a speed trap and he pulled me over and he walked out like he thought he was everything. Did you ever think that if you hadn't have been speeding, you might not have been stopped? No, I forgot. He was profiling you because I forgot in your mind the spotlight's on you wherever you go. All I have to do is just look up your profile page. You know, I call it a liar's page. You know why? Because you don't ever put on your profile the truth. You put on what you want everybody to believe is the truth. You don't put up a picture of you when you just woke up in the morning and you got a zit right in the middle of your forehead. You look like Cyclops. You look like something been drugged through the mud. You don't put up your picture when you've been standing in front of that mirror and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing until mustard, mayonnaise, and ketchup come out in one lump on the thing. You don't go, hey, look at this. And now you got this big indent in there. And now you got like a crater. So you go get your dad's bondo and you fill it in. And then you get your hair, you know, where it's, over it like this, or that's the day you wear a headband. You don't post that. You Photoshop it and fix it up, and even if you're ugly, you put dumb pictures and dumb things on it to make yourself look like you're just joking around. You can't cover ugly. 
Some of you just ugly. Just own it. What am I, ugly? What are you looking for? I'm looking for a pretty woman to make ugly look pretty. That's the only hope some of you got. Marry a pretty woman so they'll be looking at her all the time. They don't want to look at you. Fleshly decision, would you agree? Would you agree that it was a very fast, quick decision without any thought to it at all? Would you agree also it was very foolish coming down to the end? Did you know that it was fatal? You realize it cost him everything, including his life. It was irrevocable, irretrievable. The devil does not care at that point for you knotheads that are not saved yet how much you scream and cry like a little girl. You go into the deepest, darkest prison in hell and he is going to torture you and laugh while you scream. It don't bother him. The more you scream, the more he likes it. And the more he'll torture you. Ted Bundy was a master at it. Ted Bundy was a serial murderer. Ted Bundy probably killed in excess of 300. He didn't confess until it came time to try to save his own stinking hide to about 30-something of them. But you know what he got pleasure out of? listening to him scream. John Wayne Gacy was down in Texas, 38 boys down there. Guess what? Down in Texas, or not 38, 18, John Wayne Gacy would pick up boys, put them on a board, tie them down, and torture them for days, listening to them scream, put them in a bag and bury them underneath the house until he found another one, big prominent member in society. You know what he said? He loved to hear him scream. You know what? When you get in a situation, the Bible says Esau sought repentance carefully with tears. Too late now. They put a boy in jail one night. He'd done some pretty horrible things. Very horrible, as a matter of fact. He had tortured a girl, had taken a Coke bottle. I try to make sure I tell this the right way. In those days, any of y'all know those green Coke bottles down at the very bottom? They're real thick at the bottom, look like real thick glass. You know what I'm talking about? They were Coca-Cola bottles. They were green colored. And she was in there and he broke in and he began to do some things. And she got her hands on one of these little handheld tasers and she tried to tase him. Well, he took the taser away from her and he started tasing her. He picked up a Coca-Cola bottle And the first time he hit her, he hit her on the cheekbone and he shattered it. He just literally mashed it all down into her face. He knocked nearly every one of her teeth out of her throat, out down her throat. She swallowed him. She couldn't help it. She was about to drown in her own blood. He repeatedly for over 24 hours in that room bound her, gagged her, and mistreated her. Well, we finally caught him. And I had him in the box. And I told him what he was facing. And big old crocodile tears start coming down. Oh, oh, my mom is going to be so upset with me. And I'm like, oh, this is such a bad thing. I'm like, you think your stinking tears are going to keep you from going to prison the rest of your life? You weren't crying when she was crying. 
It didn't bother you until you got snagged up. You know what I've seen? I've seen a lot of false repentance. People come to the cross because all of a sudden their hand's in the cookie jar. They don't have anywhere else to turn. And instead of coming up and saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. It's like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just so sorry. And they wonder why the Lord's like, yeah, I hear you, Jake. I've seen your kind before. I saw Esau like that one time. I mean, when he realized it wasn't to his benefit, I, I saw him cry. Boy, did he cry. He cried me a river. Lord, what would you think about it? I hated him because he hated me. That's a kind of pure hate you can't imagine. See, all you hear is about the love. Well, the Lord said, Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I? Jacob did a lot of bad stuff, but he never despised his birthright. I've known Christians to do some bad stuff. But I've known Christians that do bad stuff that never despise their birthright. When we mess up, we fess up. And we're thankful that God will forgive us. But don't parade around and all the things that you did as if you got away with something. It ain't funny. You have more influence on your age than I ever will. They don't listen to me. You do a little bit because you're in a crowd and they're a preacher and supposed to listen. Listen to the old man, you know, it'll be all right. He's, he's getting, you know, kind of senile, a little bit of that Alzheimer's and dementia stepping in and, you know, be respectful for him. But when we get done, man, I mean, I get back and get my phone. Man, what a stinking idiot screaming at me like that. What does he think this is? You know, a, a dojo or something? He's trying to take me back to the police academy days when he was Barney Fife. I bet they didn't even give him one bullet. <laughs> no, but I was pretty good at putting the old drunk in jail on a regular basis. about all I could handle. But all of a sudden you get back home and you say, what happens? Oh, I hope, I pray, I hope all of a sudden oh, Esau sitting in the car with you and saying, hey, come on. Come on. <laughs> Forget those commitments you made at camp. Forget what all them preachers said to you. Treasure. Who cares about eternal treasure? Who cares about eternal stuff? Let's live for the here and now, man. Pop the top. Smoke them if you got them. Let's have a party. Why are you doing that? I don't like my birthright. He can't put no shackles on me. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. I ain't doing that. He ain't going to tell me what to do. I'm going to obey my parents. My parents. Bunch of stinking old fogies go to the Bible believing church and they listen to the preacher and then they're going to tell me what I can and can't do. <sighs> can you tell me where I can pick up some Xanax? I'm stressing. Can you tell me where I can get some Percocet? I'm in pain. And then you get it. And it's loaded up with the wrong stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're standing in the presence of the king. Yay! What a way to go with puke all over you, needles sticking all out of you, respirator down in there, stomach trying to pump out of you, a pump, stomach pump, vomit all over the place, and then you're sitting there going, what's wrong with that guy? He's dead. Why? Well, he just got a a little bit of fentanyl, it's a little bit too much, and he kicked off early. He ain't but 18 years old. Didn't that kid just come back from youth camp? What happened to her? 
I don't know. You reckon she ate too much? Maybe swallowed a watermelon seed? Uh, no, she had a boyfriend that wanted it now, and they got in a hurry. She didn't die, but her life is now cut out for her for the rest of her life. Oh, okay, well, what happened to her boyfriend? Oh, he's gone. Can't find him with a flashlight. Where's she? She's back in church, but she's mad at all the people because they're all talking about her all the time. What kind of chance you think she's got? Hey, I'm for helping her out. But I'm not for condoning what she did. You can help them without condoning. My daddy would say on a regular basis, boy, I love you, but I'm going to bust your tail. That's a strange kind of love, isn't it? <laughs> Lastly, let me say this. I hope it's making sense to you and I'm done. He made a very deceptive or he was deceived by his own decision. I'd call it kind of call it kind of foggy. Kind of foggy. You see, if you study and follow Esau out, when he runs into Jake a little bit later on, you know what winds up happening? Jacob offers him gifts. Right? You know what Esau says to him? No, we good, bro. I got more than I can spend. I mean, I know God was mad at me about that birthright thing and all that, but he must be blessing me. I mean, he's got to be blessing me. I mean, I mean, I got all kind of stuff, man. I don't even know what to do. You know what? He was so deceived by what he had done in his mind, he thought God was blessing him because he would have been successful in life. He still had some stuff. And he still went to hell. Because God doesn't show His forgiveness by just giving you stuff. Sometimes getting stuff is just the fruit of hard work. You apply hard work. I mean, look at the people right now, the ones that have the most money. You don't hear old testimony of Jesus Christ. They're not saved. And sometimes it gets kind of foggy, doesn't we? get deceived by our own decision. Oh, me and the Lord, we're good. Everything's fine. And the whole time he thinks like that farmer. Well, the Lord's really blessing me, man. I mean, I'm going to build some bigger barns. <laughs> well, thou fool, tonight your soul's going to be required of you. Rich man in hell. What in the cat air am I doing down here in hell, man? I mean, I've lived in purple and fared sumptuously every day. And Lazarus is over there, dogs licking his sores. And uh, the desires to be fed at the arms of the rich man's table. And then when they die, the rich man's over there going, Hey, I think the roles have been reversed a little bit here. You going to tell me that Lazarus? Yeah, Lazarus made the right decision. You made the wrong decision. Well, I thought everything was good. I was prosperous. I was doing good. I was healthy. Yeah, but then when you die. The Lord's like, okay, time to settle accounts. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says every work will be tried in the fire, whether it be good or whether it be bad. We're all going to be there. Every man shall give an account of himself unto God. As that preacher used to say, there'll be a perfect attendance at that church service. And a painful accountability. Every man will give an account. Now here's the whole point of the message. The whole point of the message is, is that you have a choice almost every day in life whether or not to choose what the Lord would have you to do 
or what Esau would do. Esau lived for himself, for his flesh. For that speedy, quick, fast, fatalistic, I don't care about anybody, fleshly decision. You know what the Lord said? Why don't you look and see how it's going to play out at the judgment seat? I don't know what decisions you're making or about to make or maybe have made. It's either one side or the other. You know what I know? I know this. Some of you that are not saved, you know why you're not saved? Because you're thinking, yeah, I don't know that I really want to do that. You say, I got plenty of time. You're making a decision for the here and now. And tonight might be the night. There might be a rescue wagon pull up out in front of your cabin in the morning. And somebody said, what happened to him, man? I don't know. He kicked off during the night. We thought he was fine. He wound up having a, <coughs> an ABM. He wound up having a heart attack. And I don't have any idea, man. All of a sudden, he went crazy, flopped over out of the bed, busted his head open, busted her head open, and they rolled him off. What happened to him? They're dead. I saw the flat line then you're going to regret. You say, why? Because if you're saved, you're going to go to the judgment seat and you're going to seek carefully with tears, repentance, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Can I go back? Can I suffer for you? Can I do something for you? Can I live for you? Can I make decisions for you? Can I not take the path of Esau, Lord? I want to do the right thing to do. Lord, I want camp to matter to me. I want my Christian life to matter to me. I want my church to matter to me. Lord, I want to make a spiritual decision. The Lord said, too late. You're saved, enter in the joy of the Lord. Yeah, but Lord, I mean, I see it's real now. I mean, can I go back and earn some gold and some silver, some precious stones? The Lord said, you mean some treasure? Oh, I got treasure for you. No problem. Hang on just a minute. I've I, I got some treasure for you. Oh, good, man. I thought I was going to be up here and have no treasure. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, go ahead and bring in the lumberjack with the chainsaws and bring in the wood and the hay and the stubble. There's your treasure. Go ahead and throw it in the fire. You got a couple of cords of wood there. You got a big old haystack full of hay. And you got some dead grass and stubble. Just throw it in the fire. And hey, listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. Whatever's left over, you can have every bit of it. Boy, I bet there'll be some slow log burning. Lord, everything I put on there just... Burns up. Lord said, well, you can have all the ashes you want, but you can't buy nothing with ashes. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You got your treasure, Esau. You listened to Jonadab, didn't you, Amnon? You followed your eyes, didn't you, David? You didn't care about your family, did you, Achan? Nah. You didn't care about the old preacher in prison, did you, Demas? Paul's in prison and I'm done with this. Down there with the roaches and the rats and he's having a pretty hard time. Prisons aren't then what they are now. And Paul writes, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Esau. Achan. Judas. Benedict Arnold. The rookie. Preserve my life and let my friends get beat half to death. 
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The quickest way to avoid being an Esau is to get close to the Lord. Preacher, I have enough. (laughs) If you don't have Jesus, you don't have enough. You got decisions to make. College, work, boyfriend, girlfriend, get in, get out. Some of you, you know what, right now, you're upset, you're mad, you've messed up. You know what you got to learn to do? You got to learn to hang in there, boy. I mean, just hang in there. Just, I mean, don't let nobody drive you out of nothing. Hang in there like a crab holding on to the edge of a pot. Dig in like a tick stuck in the back end of a dog. And say, hey, listen, man, I ain't going nowhere in spite of what happened. Boys, are you listening to me? It's worth following Jesus Christ. There is no better life. You are not giving up anything to follow him. You're gaining everything. Father, would you please bless the time of invitation and our time together, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.